Welcome to Everything is Better Than You Think, a podcast where we focus on mental health, spirituality, and overall well-being. If you struggle with anxiety or depression, or are just seeking a higher quality of life, this podcast is for you. Everyone, we're continuing our season on pain and pleasure. I'm Will Johns here with my brother, Rick Johns. Yes. And uh, we're glad that you're joining us again today for this intriguing topic based on the book, Dopamine Nation by Anna Lemke. But before we dive in today, Rick, I've got a question for you. Hmm. If a genie appeared to you right now and offered you only one wish, what would you wish for? Hmm. Maybe that he'd be my other podcast host. (laughs) 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 You didn't see that coming, did you? (laughs) Actually, I think I would wish for like unlimited money or something. I don't know. Unlimited money. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sounds good. There's a lot you could do with that. Yeah. So the the classic answer to that question is more wishes. Like Mm. I remember thinking that as a kid, whenever I'd hear these genie stories, I'm like, why don't they wish for more wishes (laughs) or unlimited wishes? You basically got it because you said unlimited money. So it's almost the same thing, but there's some things money can't buy that you'd be a little short on, but yeah uh, if the beatles are right you can't buy love so (laughs) you know you'd have to earn that yourself but uh anyway we would all probably want to have a genie who offered us unlimited wishes like that would be pretty cool pretty nice thing to have yeah and and this is really essentially what lemke is talking about in the in the beginning of her book where she says we all have access to what she calls uh, the feel-good button. Well, actually, that's not her term for it. That's my term for it because it just kind of helps me understand the concept that there's this this feel-good button that we all have that Mm. we can push whenever we want to. So that makes me want to ask you a question, Will. If you had a device that every time you pushed the button that made you feel good, would you buy it? Absolutely, Rick. In fact, I already did. Oh. That's what we talked about last week that I stood in line for in 2007, (laughs) and I bought the first iPhone. Okay. And and that's why this whole issue is different for us today than it was for previous generations. We have a device that has some version of the feel-good button on it for everyone. Yeah. And I think before we blame everything on the iPhone, let's just point out uh, it wasn't like addictions only came along once the iPhone was invented. That's exactly true. There were definitely other feel-good buttons, if we want to use that term, uh, in our lives. And you can look you know, at the classic ones that we like to blame, drugs, alcohol, sex. Uh, but there's, there's many others. People have found many different ways of kind of ending up addicted or ending up caught in this vicious cycle with the feel-good button. Yeah, and I remember as a kid thinking that the church I grew up with 
uh, I grew up in was a bit of a killjoy for warning me constantly about the dangers of sex and alcohol and drugs. <laughs> Do you remember that, Rick? Yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, it was like constant. I'm like, hey, ease off, uh, guys. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying for all those things. Yeah. I get it. I get the message, but I think the worry that the church was was trying to say in that message is the fear of addiction yeah. and what it can really do to you. Yeah, I find my attitude towards those things has really changed, not only with age, which is one factor, but parenting. <laughs> yes. Now I'm the curmudgeon yes. telling my kids, don't get near it, don't try it, it's not going to, it's it's a terrible way to live. Be but, careful, be careful, be careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so now I'm, I'm the person uh, that's killing your joy, but... You know what I was thinking about is I remember those commercials, I think it was 80s, maybe late night or maybe 90s, always about say no to drugs. Yeah. And I think it was Nancy Reagan, you know, had this whole campaign uh, to end the drug problem and to have kids stay off drugs and say no to drugs. And you just heard it over and over. But the thing that was lacking for me, at least, was the comprehension of why. Yes. It was just say no. Well, yeah. Okay, because they're bad. Okay. But I think now as an adult and reading Dopamine Nation, now you start to see the why. Yes. And that's yes. what's helpful because you can get yourself in a really bad position. I, re- I remember uh, one of the commercials from that campaign, which was a close-up of a frying pan. <laughs> and this guy comes on with a deep voice. He's like, this is drugs. Yeah. And then he cracks an egg and puts it on the frying pan. And he says this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And it's like, that doesn't answer anything. Like, like you know, they're yeah. just trying to basically brainwash us into saying no to drugs. But the why is very important because yeah. the only way that we may resist overdoing it with things that make us feel good, and it can be very innocent things as well, and we're going to get to that, is if we understand the why, if we understand the detriment that is inherent in overdoing it with with the uh, pleasure yeah. button or the, the feel-good button. And it's not because we're trying to kill joy. It's because we're actually trying to help your life be better. Yes. And that's what yes. I remember Dr. Lemke in her book, she told the story of a man named Jacob. I don't know if you remember that or maybe you would even want to share that, Will, but I thought he was a, a powerful illustration of why <laughs> this kind of feel-good button actually ends up being destructive. Exactly. No, thank you for, for bringing that up, because her experience was with individuals who ex- suffered extreme forms of addiction, for the most part. And and Jacob is kind of, he kind of summarizes all of the patients that she had. And by the way, his story has been changed enough, and this is not his real name. You know, she got permission from all her patients to, mm-hmm. to share their stories in ways that would not reveal who the individual is. But um, the pattern is always the same. And in Jacob's case, he was addicted to sex and pornography. And what he found, uh, he was a very high-functioning, high-level person in Silicon Valley, you know, this this is not somebody that was struggling financially. He was not down and out. He was very, very successful. But he started 
getting into the world of pornography and, and online chat rooms where that he was doing, you know, involved with different sex things. And it took him over. He started becoming obsessed with these things. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where it really wasn't, at first it felt incredible. And then over time, the pleasure that he got from all this became less and less and less. Mm-hmm. But the pain in his life got more and more and more. So the need for pushing the button mm. increased dramatically. But what one of the terms in, in understanding addiction is the word tolerance, that over time, the button doesn't produce as much dopamine as it did the mm-hmm. first time. And so... He starts getting addicted to the behavior, even though it delivers more, less and less and less for him. Mm. And kind of the breaking point for him was he had a huge presentation to deliver in front of a large group of people. And the night before, instead of working on his presentation, he stayed up all night messing around with pornography. And when he gave his talk, it was a complete bomb. It was mm. a mess. And he got fired from his job immediately after and so here's this guy living his dream gets caught in an addiction loses his job he eventually lost his wife and his mm. family mm. he loses everything yeah because all he can think about yeah. is doing this one behavior well and like she says because all that pain now is building up as he's avoiding it as he's hitting that pleasure button and the tolerance is is coming, so it takes more and more. It just consumes him. And you, yes, you know, logically we can look at that and say, "Boy, what a dumb thing <laughs> to do! Why yes. didn't he study for that presentation? Why wasn't he prepared?" But this could happen to any of us, and this is a, an example of how the behavior works. Exactly, and and it the important thing with any you know talking about any addiction even the the ones that are very innocent to start with you know is to catch it soon yeah. the sooner you catch it and deal with it the less likely you are to have the extreme fallout that, yeah. that Jacob had in his life because initially when you're doing and pushing this pain button whatever or pleasure button sorry whatever button it is for you uh, when you're initially doing it it's solving a problem it's bringing pleasure and it's helping you avoid pain. Yes. <laughs> so it solves a problem and you feel a little better. So you like it. And it helps the individual cope with that unwanted stuff that they're trying to avoid or that's weighing them down or they feel like is they feel like that pain is going to destroy them. And what they don't see coming is it's the pleasure that could be the destructive part. Exactly. And that is why addiction is so deceptive. It feels like, oh, this solved my problem. Yeah. And it solved my pain problem. Mm. But what they don't realize is that a tidal wave of pain is right behind it. And the more they push the feel good button, the, the higher that tidal wave of pain is going to get. Yeah. And it reminds me, Rick, I've been watching a documentary called The 100 Foot Wave, um, <laughs> okay. where these crazy surfers are, are going to Nazare, Portugal, and serving the largest waves in the world right at the beginning some of the first massive waves that they caught were like 70 80 feet tall and just unreal but imagine a wave 
like that coming for you. And that probably should give you the idea of how much fear you should feel <laughs> when you are overdoing it with an addiction, mm. because that's what's coming for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> something very destructive, something that will lead to a lot of pain. Yeah. So, you know, we noticed that this uh, story with Jacob, that he wasn't someone who whose life was in shambles and he was turning mm -mm. to this pornography and stuff to get away from a miserable life. He actually had a good life. He was successful. He had a family. Yes. And so I think this is an important part that Dr. Lemke, you know, emphasized in her book because she said this can happen to anyone. The myth is, oh, addicts, they're the people that are down and out and just have all these problems, so they try to cope that way. But all of us are trying to cope with the stress and challenges and pain of life. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and so this pattern is not restricted to those who are in extreme behaviors. Mm. You know, those who are practicing their addiction 20 hours a day, you know. We can see the same pattern in individuals who start off doing a behavior that's only 20 minutes a day or an hour a day or something like that, the pattern will build over time. And that's how you know that it's becoming an addiction. But it can happen to any of us. And it happened to Dr. Lemke herself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so to her credit, and I thought this was a huge, uh, it really won my trust in her and confidence that she would share of her own experience. Yes. But she found herself in midlife, very happy, successful, a family, doing well. But then she began to pick up uh, a romance novel here and there, and she really enjoyed them. And she found them to be a nice little escape from the, the everyday world that she was in. But before she knew it, she was looking to read them more and more and spending less time with her family, spending less time working on the things she should be for work. And she said kind of the pinnacle happened when she, when she realized she was reading the Twilight series, some of you know that series, for the fourth time. <laughs> and here she is, an addiction researcher, and it suddenly clicks, I think I have a problem. I yeah. am reading these, and I'm completely consumed with these books, and I didn't even see it coming. Mm. Mm. And so I, I like how she shares how that started off just fine and then kind of took this nosedive. And the thing that I think to me is most important about her story is that she says that at a certain point, she lost all sense of pleasure in her life. Mm. That all she wanted to do, all she could desire to do was to read the next romance novel. Mm. Mm. And so here's somebody that loved her work, loved her family, loved her husband, loved doing all kinds of healthy activities, and she lost her interest in mm. all of them. Yeah. And at her lowest point, she found herself one day reading her romance novels between in the 10 minutes between patients. <laughs> like, like just trying to squeeze it in yeah. one more spot in her life. She found herself reading them off in a room by herself when she could have been spending meaningful time with her family. Mm -hmm. And this is what, to me, 
is the most devastating thing about addiction is that it takes away the desire for anything else, especially taking away the desire for that which makes our lives meaningful and purposeful. Yep. And that's why you can see how this becomes such a vicious cycle. Yes. Because you keep pushing that button, you feel great, but then you need more of the button to feel that good again. Nothing else starts, you know, everything starts to fade and you become, uh, dare we say, obsessed with that particular button. And this is where understanding the brain and why, you know, Dr. Lemke wrote the book helps us here to break the cycle, to recognize that this dopamine pain and pleasure balance is really important. We have to see it for what it is. We have to understand it. When we push the button, whatever it is, let's, let's use her example, the romance novels. You know, so she reads the novels, she gets the dopamine hit from reading that. What she's also getting with that dopamine hit, dopamine is also creating desire. So, so when she gets the pleasure in the moment, she's also getting the desire for the future. What happens is when we overdo it with anything, then that dopamine is creating this ravenous desire for just one thing. Mm. And so here's a good test for a listener at home, you know, to say, am, am I addicted to something, even in a small way? And the good test is when you think about doing something fun, like if you suddenly had two hours of free time, can you think about many things you'd like to do or only one? Mm. If it's only one, then watch out for that one. Yeah. That's probably in an addictive space in your life. Yeah. That's, that's really well said. One of the things that I have a question for you on is how do we understand this teeter-totter then? And how is that related to this addictive dopamine pleasure button? Well, the, the teeter-totter comes in when we overdo it with the feel-good button. Okay. Uh, so we, we keep hitting this feel-good button, and then it kind of wears off, and we're like, oh, I don't feel very good. I'm going to hit it again. Boom. Oh, I feel a little better. And then, oh, I don't feel very good. Hit it again. If we're running away from pain, you know, it's like there's something we're trying not to think about. We start thinking about it. We feel bad. Oh, I got to, boom, hit it again. Hit it again. Boom, 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 boom. Every time I'm hitting that, I'm pushing the teeter-totter down on the pleasure side. It's going up on the pain side. The brain doesn't like that imbalance. Mm -hmm. Eventually, I am going to be flooded with pain. The brain <laughs> is going to say, enough. You're out of balance. And now I feel awful. I feel depressed. I feel highly anxious. Hmm. I feel like everything's falling apart. The brain is trying to restore balance. Hmm. But if I don't know that that's what's going on, I'm going to freak out. Or maybe it's the worst decision you can make in that moment. You start slamming down on that feel-good button even more. Yeah, you're adding more and more weight. So the brain has to put more and more weight on the pain side in order yes. to bring that teeter-totter down. <laughs> Yes. And, and get you off the, the pleasure uh, for a bit. I remember talking to someone. Uh, she was telling me in her high school days, she had a boyfriend who was very uh, wealthy, she said. And because of that, 
he would buy any drug and they would just try them. <laughs> mm. And they thought, you know, as teenagers, hey, this sounds like fun. And she tells me her experience with ecstasy. She said, I tried this drug ecstasy. And she said, I have never in my life felt so high. Just everything was amazing. Everything while I was on the drug seemed amazing. Was just, she said, I can't even describe how great it was. But she said, as high and great as I felt while under the influence of that drug, when the drug wore off, I had equally the low. And she said it was a low that I had never experienced before. Mm. I think her words were, it was pure hell coming off that drug. She said, I felt so bad. She said, I can't even describe. And she said, it was so horrible coming off of it that she said, the first thing you start thinking is, I've got to take another pill because I got to get out of this horrific Mm. feeling that I have and get back to that high. And so she said, and there's the the vicious cycle. Yes. Yes, and, absolutely. Well, then yeah. how do you ever live without it? Yeah. Where is the point where you can let it go? And and that's another good question. If you if you're sitting out there listening, maybe I am addicted to something I just haven't admitted it yet. Ask yourself this question, could I give it up for a week? Mhm. Mm-hmm. No problem. Yeah. Could I give it up for a month without yeah. batting an eye? You yep. know, if you still are not quite sure, then try giving it up. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll know for very sure, yeah. you know, what you're up against. And let's let's pull it back a little bit and remind ourselves, we've used extreme examples. <laughs> Jacob's yes. story, uh, even even the, the novels, the romance novels is a little bit extreme maybe. But it can be even simpler and kind of everyday things that we can kind of get stuck on that pleasure button. I don't know, Will, can you think of anything for you that you felt like kind of got on that level of, I just want to keep hitting that button? Yeah. And I'm I'm guessing there might be some other people that can relate to this one because it's unavoidable in a a certain sense. Uh, I got food addicted Mm. for a little while. You know, basically I... It was during the pandemic. I was kind of in this mindset of like, you know, life's tough enough and maybe my (laughs) life is short because I don't know. Um, So if there's good food, yes, please. You know, I'm going for it. And the more, the better. Yeah. And so like, I just, there's food and it's good. I'm going to eat it. Yeah. Yeah. And what I will never forget is um, my wife and I took a, a trip on our anniversary I believe it was in 2021, May of 2021. We went to this restaurant, one of my favorite restaurants, and I was like, oh man, this is my anniversary. I'm giving myself a blank check. Yeah, I am going to order everything that I like, and I'm <laughs> going to just love every minute of this meal. Yeah. So I did. I ordered all this stuff. And McDonald's is cheap, so it didn't uh, cost no. too much. <laughs> so that was good. Oh, man, I think I'd be divorced if I went to McDonald's <laughs> for my anniversary. But anyway, so it wasn't McDonald's, and I ordered this great food, and it was truly good, but I didn't really enjoy it. Hmm. I didn't really, and I felt lousy physically afterwards because I ate too much. <laughs> and I remember feeling like, oh, man, I'm not really enjoying food that much anymore. Hmm. 
And that was the first realization that maybe I was overdoing it. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I was turning to food too much yeah. to try to be the thing to get me through the pandemic, you yep. know, yep. to try to offset my pain of, you know, what I was going through with all the pandemic related stress and, and so forth. That's how it works. It could be just, you know, something simple. Food is not bad. Enjoying food is not bad. Right. To this day, I love food and I love eating good food. I just have to think differently about it. I yeah. have to limit myself so that I can truly enjoy it. And I'm thankful to say now I truly enjoy the food because I'm it's in the right amount. Yeah. Because there's a balance there. And yes. I think that's probably a good summary today of our lesson, that there has to be a balance. When you overdo that pleasure button, it stops working and it actually starts destroying mm-hmm. <laughs> our life. We're not mm-hmm. talking about no pleasure. We're just talking about not having it in an excessive, addictive kind of quality to it. And so, Will, what does that mean that we're going to talk about next week? Yeah, so, so next week... We're going to talk about, okay, I, I have fallen into the trap. I keep pushing the feel-good button, and I've overdone it. Now what? Okay. Where do I go from here? What's the next step? And, and we really need to look at that next week. We need to look at uh, how does pain relate to all of this? Mm. As today, we were focusing primarily on pleasure and, and, and where it can go wrong. All right. So you need to tune in next week because we have a feeling you want to hear the rest of how to deal with this, not be stuck here thinking, man, I never get to have any pleasure. And that's a bad thing. Yeah. There is a good way to do this. There is a healthy way to approach it, but you're going to have to tune in next week to find out what that is. Thank you for listening to Everything is Better Than You Think with myself, Dr. Will Johns, and my brother, Dr. Rick Johns. We're delighted that you're joining us for this season. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with someone else. That's the biggest compliment you can give us. We look forward to seeing you next time. Here, here.